Hey there, welcome to Takeaway with Sam Okus, a podcast from Nation's Restaurant News. I am Sam Okus, Editor-in-Chief here at NRN, and this is the show where I give you an all-access pass to the restaurant industry's most influential decision makers. This week, I'm talking with Chris Dawson, the CEO of Walk-On's Sports Bistro. This 20-year-old Baton Rouge, Louisiana-based brand has incredible runway ahead of it, and Chris was brought in as CEO about seven months ago to build out a leadership team and an infrastructure that would support franchise development and growth. In those seven months, he's made several C-suite hires, prioritizing experienced problem solvers who can maximize franchisee success. Chris joined the podcast to talk about the process of building a leadership team and what he learned from several years spent as an executive in the automotive industry. In this interview, you will learn more about why developing your culinary team is just as important as that of other departments, why a franchisor cannot take lightly the impact that they have on franchisees' livelihoods, and why the best leadership team is one that has extensive experience in problem solving. Jumping now into my interview with Walk-On's CEO, Chris Dawson. Also, don't forget to stick around after the interview as I will share my seven takeaways from this discussion, actionable insights that you can take with you on the go. Okay, Chris Dawson, the CEO of Walk-On's. Chris, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. They appreciate the opportunity. So, Chris, I think some, I think most of our audience is probably familiar with Walk-On's, uh, but give me the sort of one-minute elevator pitch of what this brand is all about. Yeah, obviously, it's an incredible sports bar that started back in Baton Rouge, and oh, 20 years ago was the anniversary this year, and so it's been around for quite a while, predominantly in the southeast, but uh, sports bar atmosphere called Walk-Ons after our founder, Brandon Landry, who was a walk-on at the LSU basketball, on the LSU basketball team, and uh, most known for scratch food, exceptional food out of the kitchen, not your normal frozen food that you find in some other sports bar arenas. And just a lively atmosphere, one of a tremendous ambiance, rooting for the local team and also rooting for the national team while enjoying tremendous food along the way. Yeah, and, and we'll get into you guys are in growth mode and the tremendous potential potential for this brand, as you say. Um, and you are recent to this position. The CEO job is fairly new for you. What appealed to you about Walk-Ons when this opportunity was made available? Why did you jump at the opportunity? Yeah, it's been it was, it's quite interesting to be honest with you, Sam. I, I I've been recruited by a handful of people in my in my during my time in my career. Very blessed to have opportunities in front of me to choose from. And um, as a matter of fact, I wasn't looking at the time. I was very content in my my current role and my current brand. But uh, uh, got recruited for this opportunity. And as a matter of fact, one of the things that intrigued me greatly was the fact that I had never heard of it, uh, Sam. I had. Uh, Spent some time uh, reviewing content and things that had been sent over to me, pitches for this position. And and the more I read and the deeper I got into it, I was absolutely flabbergasted that I had never heard of it or did not know what it is. And as a matter of fact, I had two in my home state of South Carolina within a couple hours of me and uh, hopped in the car to go see what that thing was all about. And uh, when I walked into the walk-ons, I was blown away. Somebody who had been in hospitality for a very long time throughout my career, I have very high standards and expectations of what, what should be uh, delivered to a, as far as a guest experience inside a restaurant. And I experienced it at the highest level. And the more I got into the story of our founder, Brandon Landry, the more I got into the concept. And then what really wowed me, the differentiator was the food. And so the more I learned about this concept, the more I wanted to 
to dig deeper and, and find out why hadn't I heard of it. And um, it was amazing. 20 years that it had been around and um, predominantly in the southeast and sort of spread out throughout the southeast territory within a, a multitude of different states. But I had just never been close to one for, for whatever reason and um, got me super excited and I wanted to learn more. That's interesting, man, because when you think about sports bars in the southeast especially, I mean – you could say dime a dozen. There's so many sports bars. It's a pretty saturated space. But you you mentioned that differentiator of the food, and I'm just curious what is the what is the position you feel like walk-ons can carve out in this sports bar category? Because there are so many competitors. Clearly, you see this differentiator as being key. Tell me about that. How do you see this kind of being the path forward? It's absolutely instrumental when you think sports today. People had the opportunity to watch sports at home on on the comfort of their own couch on a 86-inch screen TV for a relatively inexpensive price. So you need more than just a, a TV on the wall to consider yourself a sports bar and draw people out of their homes and inside the four walls of your restaurant. And for me, uh, you can watch sports anywhere, but you can't eat great food everywhere. And so when I joined Walk-Ons and got to spend some time in the kitchen and looked into the amount of intense prep and uh, from scratch ingredients and recipes and the passion and the culinary excellence that was being performed behind the four walls, it told me that we really had something special above and beyond just being a sports bar. And so we've doubled down on that, Sam, since I've come into the organization. Uh, I joined with a very talented and passionate group of corporate culinary experts inside our headquarters. Uh, but we needed to do some more work outside in the units of our franchisees and inside the restaurants of our corporate locations and really just double down on uh, reciprocating that expertise through training programs, development opportunities, career road mapping, and really just teaching that our, our line cooks and our chefs that there's there's someone to go, somewhere to go in this organization. And you don't need to jump ship for the next five dollars that somebody's going to offer you up the up the road because. We're going to take care of you not only in your next step, for, but for many steps to come. And because of that, we just have a, a, just a deep passion and intense level of uh, work ethic inside the four walls, um, specifically back in the kitchen. And our cooks understand that the guest experience is in their hands. And so they take a lot of pride in making sure that we're delivering excellent uh, food to the table. Yeah, and we'll get back to that uh, development of the team that you're doing there at Walk-Ons. But, but to really stick on the, the quality piece of this, not to put any of your competitors on blast here, but I do feel like a lot of sports bars, you know, the, the origin story for so many of them really started at a time when the quality of the food just must not have been priority. You know, it's cheap beer, big screen TVs, be that, let's call it a third place for the sports watching crowd or whatever. Um, and I just feel like that's that's come back around now, right, where everybody has a higher standard for the quality of the food that they're looking for. I mean, what what's the opportunity from the consumer standpoint as you see it? You must look at the demographics and you see the opportunity all around the country. What is the consumer expectation of a sports bar in 2024? Yeah, listen, there's there's a ton of competition out there right? and we're all fighting for similar consumers and we've never wanted to pigeonhole ourselves into one specific group or one type of consumer we want to leave ourselves to be very versatile and very diverse and be able to attract multiple different types of consumers into our restaurants and the quality of our food does that whether it's a ladies for a lunch meeting or whether it's sunday after church or at, at whether it's in the evening for the ball game we are seeing a very wide variety of different types of consumers who come into our restaurant specifically because of the food that we serve. 
we have healthy options. We have salads, but we also have your sports bar, you know, your wings and, and, and all the other staples and traditional items that most sports bars serve. But we're not doing that frozen at a, at a sump freezer. All of those are fresh ingredients, fresh sauces. Um, and we like to elevate uh, what we put in front of our guests. And, and we feel like that we're um, dominating in that area, as a matter of fact, at, at this moment in time. Sure. Okay, so before we get into talking about the development at Walk-Ons, I want to talk about you because you have such an interesting career. You have spent several years in food service, but immediately prior to becoming CEO at Walk-Ons, you were in the automotive industry. Tell me about your previous position and what you learned in that role that you're bringing with you to Walk-Ons. Yeah, it was quite interesting career path, and it didn't go uh, without a lot of anxiety switching industries. I had spent the majority of my career in the hospitality side. Everything from hotels to beach resorts, everything to do with food and beverage. And as a matter of fact, was a multi-unit franchisee of my own for a period of time in the hospitality industry. And so I've always had a passion. It's always been in my blood. Um, but what I found, Sam, in many of the career corporate opportunities that I was in was that I was maintaining or slightly improving or working to improve somebody else's work prior to me. And so I was really trying to challenge and test myself to see what, what what skills or what talents have I learned or what knowledge and experience do I have to be able to expedite a brand to the next level. And so I was very fortunate to be recruited to driven brands, uh, but through the automotive industry. And part of the reason I was selected or recruited was because of my one, my franchise background, but two, I had built a lot of infrastructure and teams and new unit groups and training and learning and development, all the things that really are needed as the foundation for a successful franchise to, to grow and occur. And there was a, a, a they had just acquired a, a take five business, take five oil change out of Metairie, Louisiana, and there were 60 units uh, there at the time and they were all corporately owned. And so um, part of the attraction for me was not only do I get to go in and scale and grow a brand, um, but at the same time, there were no franchise units in that brand. And so I was also going to get the opportunity to launch a franchise brand on my own uh, to some degree and, and a partnership with all of the, the other department leads and people around me, of course. But um, just to be able to take something from grassroots and grow it to something exponential was was incredibly intriguing to me and to do it in an atmosphere that I had absolutely no knowledge of. And so uh, I took a lot of what I learned in the hospitality industry and implemented that into that situation. And we had tremendous success. We opened over 200 locations my first year there. Uh, we were we had teams all over the country, and that brand continues to just excel today. They've reached almost 850 locations in six-year period, and uh, I'd like to say that myself and my team had a, a lot to do with that, so much that I got other opportunities within Driven Brands to move upward and uh, take some of the things that I implemented at that brand and then begin to implement them in other brands as well. And uh, you know, I had Mako started as Mako president in, in 2020, right before COVID and just continued to follow the playbook that I had always thought was healthy. You know, being a former franchisee, I know what it's like to want to be guided, to want to be supported, to, to need somebody by your side. It's a very complex and, 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 and tough business. And so it takes more than just signing up to become a franchisee. It takes the support of the franchisor for both of you to win in that environment. And so I, I've just always tried to, to put myself, you know, being in the franchisee shoot, what, what would I have liked to be different or what would I have liked as a franchisee? And I've built all our programs around that. And we had record-breaking sales to the last two years at Mako when, when I was there. And 
Uh, fortunately, I was enough, uh, had the opportunity to step into leading five brands at that time. And so, you know, my, my career's grown, but it's all been all the people that I've surrounded myself with and, you know, uh, learning from the failures of the past and most importantly, taking what I, what I learned as a franchisee and wish I would have had next to me when I was there. So interesting. I mean, cars and food, while on the surface, maybe not a lot in common, I have to imagine there is something in common, which is both pretty universal. I mean, food is completely universal. Automotive is, especially, you know, uh, in middle America, let's say, is very universal in that most people drive a car to get around. They have to. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if you could compare and contrast. I mean, being a leader in food and being a leader in automotive, what are what are some of those things that are like lessons you pull from one into the other? How did you benefit from a food background in the auto industry at Mako and at, at Take Five? And then how have you brought lessons now from that industry back into food? If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it's a great question. It's a great question. So going over to the to obviously the automotive business, it's a very much needs based business. So you know, that the light comes on on your car telling you need an oil change, whether you want to do that or not, it, it, it's highly recommended that you go get that taken care of. And so I think uh, you get a little bit of complacency on the automotive side um, with the lack of hospitality. It's more like you need me, you're going to pull into the lot and, you know, we're going to perform a service and send you on your way. And what I really tried to incorporate was the hospitality side of the business to, you know, nobody wakes up in the morning and gets really excited about spending 80, 90, hundred dollars on an oil change. There's no benefit to that outside of the fact that your car doesn't break down in the future, but there's no upside to it for the immediate. So it, it's sort of a daunting experience. Nobody gets excited about it. And so what we wanted to incorporate was a hospitality side of, you know, taking care of the, the customer when they showed up at the lot and making them aware that we cared about not only them, but also their car and what else could we do to make their day better. And we incorporated passing out drinks and and snacks and all these other things that just turn that experience much, much less into a, I got to go get my old change and more into an interaction. And so what we did is build loyalty out of that situation and let them know that, hey, we're here for you now. We're here for you in the future. And if anything happens in between, we want to be your destination to make sure that you're, you're taking care of your family's taken care of. And we saw just a lot of benefit from that situation. And, uh, you know, I, I heard often you're, you're unlike the other places and it's because we did it with a smile. We did it with some care. And, um, I'd say the difference coming into the hospitality business, and it was probably good that I left for a period of time because what we used far more in automotive than, than I had previously in my restaurant career was data. And, and, and very much, uh, previously when I was in hospitality, we're in the opinion based business of what we thought our guests wanted and, and what we should be doing and what our franchisees thought was best for the organization. And I learned in the automotive side, consumer research and utilizing data, data to make real live decisions in quick time uh, was something that was absolutely instrumental in, in moving a business forward. And as a matter of fact, I had no choice but to do that because one of my first stints as president in 2020 was just prior to the pandemic. And so the whole world changed. And I didn't have time to go out and ask everybody what they thought about we, what we should do. We had to make real decisions because the financial health of our franchisees was was at stake. And so being able to, to dig into data and, and listen to your consumers or what do they want from you and then be able to build that playbook to deliver upon that, it, it created some incredible results. And so um, I've come back over to the hospitality side and everybody loves to taste the sauces and the cocktails and get into the groups and all those fun things. 
But at the end of the day, what is the data telling you? Are the consumers thriving? Are they responding to what you're trying to do inside the four walls? Because if they're not, that can be a, you know, where you think it's going very well, it can be a, a long-term problem. Yeah. You also have this unique experience. I always love having guests on who have been both franchisee and franchisor. I think that's a really unique thing too. Um, because we we know that, you know, this industry especially is full of examples of franchisors who overstepped their bounds or they just did not get that relationship with the franchisee. And that was ultimately to the disadvantage of what was a great brand. Um, and so I always love it when I talk with with franchisees who become franchisors because they get it. They understand what that relationship should be. So tell me about that experience because you've been a franchisee and a franchisor. And clearly now at Walk-Ons, you guys have this, you know, exciting potential. You want to tap into that, presumably franchising playing a big role in that. Tell me about your experience as franchisee, what you can tap into with that. Yeah, well, first and foremost, becoming a franchisee is an incredible thing. And uh, I didn't have the financial means to be able to do that, Sam, and happened to work for a company that had an investor operator program and uh, said, hey, we've got a lot of guys out there financially with cash, but don't want to run this business. And if you come in and provide the blood, sweat and tears and prove that you can operationally run these, we're happy to pair you up. We're happy to find you the financial means to become a franchisee. And so I went through that program and, and within a two year period became approved to be a franchisee and went through multiple interviews with investors until I found the, the right match for me. And so, you know, that created the opportunity for me. And there's great operators out there today who run amazing restaurants, but don't have the financial means. And that's something we're going to incorporate at Walk-Ons to make sure that every great person out there that loves the restaurant industry and, and, and understands how to take guests and take care of guests inside the four walls has that opportunity. So that's, and that's first and foremost. But uh, I had it, I actually had the best, the highs and the, and the lowest of lows being a franchisee. Um, so there's an opportunity for a young guy who had no financial means, but was willing to outwork everybody else to become a business owner. So that was the high that, you know, the low was, uh, I, in 2007, the economy took a massive hit. Uh, you know, when gas went up, I was in a business that, uh, when gas went up, it affected our business. That's how price sensitive it was. Uh, and at the same time, I was with a franchisor who oversaturated our market with units. And so, uh, quickly, I went from this fantastic position of multi-unit franchisee to out of business, uh, lost everything I had. So, you know, at 30 years old, um, you know, I, I had to go home one day after shutting down all of my restaurants, no paycheck, uh, a wife and two young daughters. And honestly, I had to get on my hands and knees and, and ask, I'd like, how am I going to keep the lights on? How am I going to feed my kids? Wow. Mm -hmm. That's just, that's, that's a horrible feeling. It's a, it's a terrible feeling. Uh, fortunately, I was, I was able to bounce back and get back on my feet and work my way back up through the corporate ranks to get to where I am today. But there's not a day that goes by. There's not a day that I wake up that I don't remember that situation. And so for me, it's very personal to be in this, in this role today and have the power to be able to affect franchisees and affect their financial health. All the decisions that I make and my team make on a daily basis can either propel their business forward or potentially hinder them. And obviously I don't take that lightly. Yeah, no, that's incredible. Um, so getting to now this piece where you are developing a team at walk-ons really to be this all-star team to use the sports metaphor 
um, you guys see this being such an incredible opportunity. But as we all know, if you don't have the right pieces in place from a human talent perspective, um, you might not fulfill that potential. So you're you're going about developing this team. Tell me what that looks like. Wh- where do you begin? Because you take the CEO role. Was it just like, all right, Chris, this is your team. Do with it what you will. I mean, what does that process look like? That's looked quite interesting joining joining walk on. Uh, listen, they had been around for a very long time and and, and had a leadership team, um, but but none of a, a C suite caliber. And so um, we're handling the day to day. They were maintaining very, very well, taking very good care of our existing franchisees. But when you talk about scaling a business and growing it in rapid fashion, uh, that's a different skill set. And it takes a different level of experience and it takes a different level of knowledge. And so for me, it was very, very important based on our time frame of wanting to expedite growth in somewhat of a rapid fashion that I go out and, and get those seasoned veterans and, and people with experience and people who not only have franchise background, because that's incredibly important, I honestly, it doesn't matter to me your education or how smart you are or what you've done in your career. If you don't understand franchisee relationships and partnering with franchisees to propel their business forward, then you're going to hit many obstacles in the future that that maybe are unwarranted or that you don't want to. So uh, for me, franchise experience was incredibly important. And then uh, two, seeing a, a track record of success of taking something that was maybe a little bit smaller or, or medium sized and being able to grow that exponentially uh, was critically important. For the sake of time, I wanted to surround myself with the best of the best. And uh, over the past, I've been here seven months this week. And uh, over the past six months has been all about building that team. And I'm incredibly happy to say that not only did we build out a C-suite of individuals, we've already gotten our second layer of senior leadership and almost our third layer within the organization completely buttoned up. And, and uh, you know, we don't feel like there's anything that can hold us back uh, by the people that we surrounded ourselves with. What do you think is, was, well, what was your priority? I guess I could say, because especially talking to um, emerging founders who are just getting out into building a, a team of people around them. And I talked to a lot of founders who are wear all of these hats and that sort of pivot to growth always requires. Now I need a CMO. I need a COO. I need a CFO. And for that person, what do you, what's the order what, for you when you said about this, what was your priority? Who is the most important to put into place first? And then who comes after that? That's- yeah, a little cliche, but but every single one of them, to be honest with you. We uh, I spent the first 30 days on the job, uh, not inside the corporate headquarters, you know, not inside the restaurants, but but out visiting with existing franchisees. What went well when you became a franchisee? What were some of the pain points? What are some of the things that we could have been done better from a from a guidance standpoint, from a support standpoint, from a ongoing nurturing standpoint. Um, and, and I took all of that feedback and sort of wrapped it up to understand where we are, understand where we want to go. And now I got to dictate how do we get there. And so depending on the pain points that they had, maybe sort of prioritize what we brought into the organization. But, you know, there, there's a lot of challenges out there with right now, whether it's real estate construction or inflated prices or supply chain or interest rates. All of these things you know, that everybody in all industries to some degree. The matter is, those things might not go away anytime soon, and they're not an excuse for, for us to continue to grow. I really want to look for experts, individuals who had dealt with those types of environments before. So, nothing who had grown and been successful in a very rosy and kosher environment, but who are those people that had fight through 
done it? Who are those people that came up with solutions uh, to tough situations? Who are those people that don't get frazzled and with uh, you know when adversity knocks on the door? And so I'll be honest with you, Sam. We've acquired and built a team of just uh, whatever it takes mentality, just a just a killer attitude that you know that it's only solutions but excuses. And every day that we wake up. The first thing that we ask ourselves is, what are we going to do to make our franchisees' lives better? Uh, we can talk about growth in the future and new people coming in to the organization, but the most important aspect is our existing franchisees. What are we doing to guide them? What are we doing to to mentor and, and and nurture them along the way? Because you know, outside of new prospects coming in, which is a huge piece of the growth puzzle, but uh, you know, what about existing franchisees? Because last time I checked, anytime they're making good money. The first one and on the door saying, Hey, let's build some. I know that such a big part of walk on success is the culture. Um, you know, I, I've seen this rumble video that you guys have of all of your teammates doing this big cheer right before the store opens. I always think that's such a, an impressive thing that you can get your employees to do. Um, but culture being a big piece of this, how do you go about building a corporate team knowing that these people are trickling that culture down? How, how do you keep, I guess, culture at the core of a process of developing a leadership team? Yeah, I, I think it begins with not forgetting how we got to where we are today. And we've had tremendous success. We're over 80 locations now. And anybody that you talk to, it's people gravitate. You know, walk-ons is infectious. And then, you know, quickly I go, hey, well, why did that happen? And how did it happen? And what do we have to do to protect that? And so... You know, we had this the, this mantra within our organization called protect the W. And protect the W also entails being that hold for keeping that passion, making sure that we invest and spend a proper amount of time and money up front into all of our people to give them everything that they need prior to ever putting them in front of a guest. And sometimes people want to cut and they want to cut expenses and they want to shortcut training programs and, and they want to rush people into situations. And nine times out of ten, that's where things go wrong. And so... You know, we're not one of those organizations. We want to grow and want national presence. We want to be a premier brand. And that's exactly what I came over here to do. But we're going to grow methodically and we're, we're going to grow smart. You know, um, we were recently in a published in a, in a publication and there's a lot of rankings and a lot of different metrics out there that people grade brands. But one of the things that got me most excited was seeing us at the top of one of the, the uh, publications that stated growing smartly and, and doing it in a methodical way. And not just doing it just to add units, right? Not just to be able to say we're the biggest and we're, we're the best. We have no interest in running very, very fast to only, you know, take three steps backwards in the future because we didn't do it the right way. And so we're going to grow at the proper pace. We're going to invest in our people. We're not going to shortcut on the things that got us to where we are today. And we're just going to continue to actually layer on more uh, and double down in that fashion because, you know, see the brands that come up really quick and grow really fast and, the, and then they disappear. And it's like, what happened to those, those brands? And, and, and we should be learning from those situations to protect ourselves. And in most of those cases, I see that they lost two things. They lost the culture that you just spoke of. And I see that they lost the standards that they originally started on. And, and consumers can recognize that very quick. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, what is the state of talent today? Because, you know, a couple of years ago with labor was such a huge issue. I mean, it continues to be an issue. Um, but even up to the corporate, the C-suite, I mean, is is talent, what, what do people want when they consider a position at a company? How do you recruit top talent from the top down? 
Yeah, it's it's a great question. I, I, first off, I think it, it's it's the brand itself. Um, I I would be uh, I'll be honest here. It hasn't been too difficult for Walkwoods. I don't know. But the brand is fantastic, and people just want to be a part of it. I think it's actually me probably spending a little bit more time to go. I know you love it and you're ready to sign up, but there's a couple more expectations and standards that go along with just being a part of the brand. So there's been situations where I've reached out to individuals from my past. And then there have been situations where I've been to recruit because maybe some people haven't hit the specific person or skill set experience was looking for. And so, and we have conversations about who are where we want to be and what we to get there. And that's premise. And man, and very simple. It's your job to take care of my job to take care of you. And so, what I work on is probably taking care of them professionally to take care of person. What I've learned in, in leadership and mentoring you know, people is they get mostly, typically, they're going to be giving you 100% professionally. And so it's my job to help remove those obstacles and partner and be there for them and their families and their kids and celebrate their achievements, but also be there to to tell them family first and go take care of those situations when when they arise. And so at the end of the day, it doesn't mean no good to have you in the building if your mind is somewhere else. And because of that relationship and because of the way we mentor and, and, and develop and work with our people, on um, they're willing to run through walls for us. And so we've just been naturally been able to to really seek the best of the best at the top with that same type of people first mentality. And then typically they have a network of people that know how they lead and and want to come join that as well. And so we've been just very, very fortunate, not only in the existing staff that was here that Brandon had had brought on to walk ons and never wanted to leave, but then also myself and some of our C suite members. And heading to that work and excited about what we have on the team. When you look at the potential ahead to grow, it must be so exciting. You must just want to grow as fast as possible because there's just so much opportunity. But how how are you pacing walk-ons growth? Because especially with you coming in, you're building a team. I'm assuming some of these pieces you have to really have in place before you can grow too fast. So what does the pace look like? But I mean, it's also a 20 year old brand. So it's been growing for 20 years. So how are you balancing all these factors and doing the appropriate pace for that growth? Yeah. So I, I'm probably my own worst enemy in that situation because I have no patience. I want to see us as a national brand tomorrow, but earlier, there's a methodical way to do that. And it, it all begins with franchisee probably the, the day boss brain. And, and their investment. And so it's my job to look at all things being unit level economics, supply chain procurement opportunities, building costs, uh, prototypes, all the different decisions that get made behind the scenes on a daily basis, which ultimately lead to whether the franchisee is making money or not. And so and, um, not once you build that playbook and do you feel like you're in a very good spot? The world continues to change. Economic factors continue to change. So things continually get thrown at you. And what I've seen in my past for other franchise brands is sometimes they, they continue to work off that same playbook that was originated a long time ago without make, without evolving or making changes to it. And then all of a sudden don't understand why, why growth stops or where you begin to close units. And so a big part of growth for me is not only adding units, but it's also making sure that our existing units don't ever go away. And so we spend a lot of time every day that we walk into my our, our office or we start a team meeting 
it always begins, it's always centered around franchisee profitability. What's the, you know, what are we doing to help save our franchisees money? And then ultimately, what are we trying to do to help them grow the top line uh, to put more money in their pockets? And so for me, that it all stems around that. We have a new C-suite. So you can imagine they're, they're turning over every stone in every single department in every single area to make sure that we, we tighten that up as much as possible um, before we just really start to layer on. I, I, I call it strengthening the foundation. Uh, just to be sure, because quickly, if the foundation is faulty and you start to layer on top, I, I've seen brand after brand grow very, very fast just to close and go back down the other side. And we have no intent in doing that. So where I would say that I have high expectations and a desire for us to add, you know, hundreds of units here in the very near future, we also want to do it in a way that makes sure it protects our franchisees and best. No, it's a great point. I've also seen several of these brands that uh, they get the, the dollar signs in their eyes and they say, I want to get 500 locations in two years. And that's not the point of what you're doing. You you got to make sure there's some longevity there too. So yeah, we want to be around. We've been around for 20 years and we want to be around 20, you know, 40, 60 more. Right. So we want, we want to hand that this generation of our families to the next of the wounds that they are in their families. And so uh, if you want to do that and you want to take that kind of pass, sometimes uh, Ronnie and, and Mox are always. Yeah, for sure. You were talking about some of the considerations you were thinking about to, to ensure franchisee success. And it's so funny because, I mean, you were talking about building costs and supply chain. And I'm like, that's a challenge. That's a challenge. I mean, there's so many challenges facing the industry today. What are the headwinds primarily for walk-ons today that you're thinking about the most? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, um, you know, when I joined Walk-Ins, we pretty much had one prototype. It was a very large uh, 8,500 to 12,000 square foot. And what we quickly learned over the past year is, you know, we have some out there at 6,000 and 7,000 that have the capability to do the same AUs that some of the larger ones. So just getting out of uh, thinking outside of the box and looking at all the conversion opportunities, unfortunately, there are restaurant brands that aren't making it out there. And where that absolutely breaks my heart, it also creates opportunity brands like ours to be able to step into some of those you know, buildings or conversion opportunities with puts out franchisee in a better financial out of the gate. And so we got to be very, uh, we got to have the very in, in, in our approach to folks just sitting around working for the, looking for the perfect real estate the opportunity all the time and, and maybe that prolongs the amount of units that we're able to open in the in the near term. There's out there to do something smaller or in centers. I that goes back to, you know, the question that you asked earlier is what were you looking for in your leadership team? And I brought a chief development officer on board who has just an intense amount of experience and and not only build you know, build build a suit and things of that nature, but you know, um, remodels and, and, and all things construction and design to make sure that we're taking advantage of every opportunity that's out there. Sure. All right. So 20 years in business, what should we expect to see from walk-ons in 2024? 24 is going to be a great year. So we're just going to continue to, to expand upon the, the great footprint that we already have. We obviously have holding up and we'll be reaching new in, in 2024 Vibes is going to be off the chart. We have uh, a ton of prospects and a ton of interest right now, and we're working to to negotiate all those deals and um, look at all the opportunities across across the nation. We're looking at a consolidated growth strategy. We want to fill the white space in the southeast. Uh, we have 
you know, we're in 15 plus states right now. East. And granted, we have, you know, we have units out in Leanna and we have units in Arizona and, and where those are great. And we want to continue to do that. We also want to take advantage of our consolidated growth strategy and the markets that we have the ability to dominate and take advantage of procurement, supply chain opportunities and, you know, uh, pull our more dollars to, to get more brand awareness and just continue to tell our story at a very, very high level. And so uh, what we've learned very quickly through our loyalty program is once somebody visits walk-ons, uh, rarely do they go away. They love to stay with us and they, they appreciate the food and they appreciate the fact that we take care of them at a high level. So 2024 is just about introducing more consumers to who we are and where we are. Not there now that we'll be too. Yeah, it's exciting to watch. Uh, Chris, last question. You've only been on this job seven months, so I know you're still kind of getting your feet on that foundation that you're building, but w- what do you hope to accomplish with this brand? I mean, let's call it 20 years in the future, 30 years in the future. You you can look back on your time with walk-ons. What kind of, what what do you kind of fingerprints do you have hope to have left on walk-ons as a business? Yeah, I think two things for me is, is see Brandon Landry's vision come true of uh, of all guests and all patrons, regardless of where you are in the country, you have the ability and within a short distance to go experience walk-ons and experience the food and the ambiance and all the great things and, and the vision that he had when he started this company. And, and and to not be like me and get a phone call and say, well, what is walk-ons? You know, our goal is to change that. And uh, that only happens by putting more out there and, 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 and on a more frequent basis and within a, 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 a easier reach for our consumers to get to. And so, um, listen, we're going to fill white space and we're going to continue to introduce ourselves to a lot of people. And, you know, we have so many great things that happen at walk-ons, not only from uh, the experience that our consumers and guests have in Zales, but our our charitable foundation and our celebration of walk-ons at universities all across the country. And so the more walk-on restaurants that we have out there, uh, the more the more more connection local community connections we can continue to build and uh, the work that's being done behind the scenes in that environment not only on our corporate team but by our franchisees it's just phenomenal and those stories last uh you know last forever so we want to tell many more of them that's exciting well chris dawson the ceo of walk-ons i appreciate your time today thanks chris thank you sam appreciate it that was my interview with Walk-On's CEO, Chris Dawson. So what should you learn from this interview? Here are my seven takeaways. My first takeaway is that developing your culinary team is just as important as that of other departments. We spent a lot of time recently talking about the importance of developing teams, the importance of uh, lowering your turnover, increasing your retention, talking about developing in your team. But it's interesting because we often talk about that in the context of frontline employees or your managers, and we don't take enough time talking about your culinary team. I really appreciated that Chris mentioned this specifically because walk-ons, one of the differentiators that walk-ons offers over other sports bar concepts is culinary, the high quality of its food. Therefore, it's obviously very important to them to keep their line cooks and their other, uh, you know, chefs and culinary folks involved in the company, keep them sticking with walk-ons. Uh, so he talked about how they do uh, show the trajectory that line cooks could have at walk-ons. They do invest in them. They do take care of them because it's important to protect that high-quality culinary. Think about that for your own brand. As you invest in your teams, as you invest in building out that leadership pipeline, that includes every single team, including culinary. 
My second takeaway is that the all things to all people approach isn't dead yet. Uh, for the last decade or so, I think there's been a really strong focus on narrowing menus. The fact that, you know, when you are all things to all people, you're really nothing to nobody. That's what a lot of people have kind of said. And there is some truth to that. But I do appreciate that walk-ons kind of bucks that trend. If you look at it, you know, Chris said they have all kinds of demographics who come to walk-ons. Of course, you have folks who come for the game and watching the game on TV. But he said, you know, you might have people coming after church or maybe before a ball game. Uh, all kinds of, of walks of life who show up at walk-ons, truly the all people uh, part of that all, pe- all things to all people approach. And so as such, walk-ons does have a big menu. They do have menu items that can satisfy every one of those demographics. I guess the at the end of the day, the point is, is that it really depends what your brand is and who your brand is serving. If you have a fairly narrow demographic, then continue to focus on that narrow demographic and don't try to broaden it too much, especially if it's not your core competency. But if you are a brand like Walk-On, certainly if you're full service, certainly if you tend to have a broader demographic than most, there are, you, you should try to meet the needs of all of those demographics that are coming. So again, more of the all things to all people. It's just it's a very specific approach um, that only fits for very certain brands. So don't overdo it, I guess, is the point at the end of the day. My third takeaway is that if you beat customer expectations, you'll win their loyalty. Chris discovered this when he went to the automotive industry. So of course, he talked about in his career, he started in hospitality. He was a franchisee. Then he went and was an executive in the automotive industry. And what he learned there is that in automotive, which, as he said, is a need-based industry, hospitality wasn't really a factor. Because when your light comes on on your dashboard, you need to go get it fixed. And therefore, you need that company that's going to change your oil or, or whatever they're going to do. But when he helped his company uh, take five, where he first worked in the automotive industry, when he helped them understand that hospitality could be a part of it, they lowered that bar. Uh, they uh, really raised that expectation of what you could get. And, and by clearing the expectation for customers who don't go to car places expecting much hospitality, it ensured their loyalty and they quickly grew with that company. Whatever the expectation is of your brand, Clear the expectation and then some. Even if the bar is pretty low, you might be a very simple brand uh, serving a very simple product, but it doesn't mean you should meet them at that low bar. Clear the expectation, wow your customers, and they will reward you with their business. My fourth takeaway is that data is instrumental to moving a business forward. Data, data, data. We've been talking about data for years now, but you got to emphasize this point. Chris made that point that, you know, hospitality used to be an opinion-based industry. There's so much nuance to food and so much opinion about food. Data did not rule until the last half decade or so. Uh, and now, as he points out, you know, you really can move your business forward uh, if you incorporate data into it, if you understand how exactly your customers are behaving, what they want, what they need, uh, you will be able to answer their demand far better than if you just trust your opinion and their opinion. Uh, so look at the data. If you do not have a good data program yet, you must invest in this because you are going to open so many doors for your brand going forward. 
My fifth takeaway is that a franchisor cannot take lightly the impact that they have on franchisees' livelihoods. Hopefully that is a no-brainer, but unfortunately in franchising, it's not always the case. Chris lived this as a franchisee. He experienced this. When he was a franchisee, he said he lost everything at one point because of some of the decisions made by the franchisor. He swore he would never do that again. And sure enough, now uh, at walk-ons and previously when he was in the automotive industry, the livelihood of franchisees is really the priority. All the decisions that they are making for growth, for innovation, comes back to how it benefits the franchisee. And that's not just some, you know, uh, sappy kind of like because we want to be friends, whatever. Let's all sing Kumbaya. It's good business because if your franchisee is happy and your franchisee is growing, they will want to continue to grow. They're going to come, as Chris said, knock on your door and ask for more restaurants. It is in your interests that your franchisees do well, not just because that's the right thing to do to protect their livelihoods, but also because it's good business. My sixth takeaway is that the best leadership team is one that has extensive experience in problem solving. Chris and I spoke uh, really about this concept of, um, you know, building a leadership team because that's what he's been working on for the past seven months and what I really wanted to learn about. Uh, and it's just fascinating how, how he's putting all of these pieces together in the C-suite. Uh, and, and as I talked to him about those priorities, when you are building your C-suite or your leadership team, what are those priorities? You know, for him, it, he, he, as he said, they started by talking to franchisees and understanding their pain points. Once they collected all of that data, they were able to really prioritize, you know, which roles they put into place, uh, you know, in what order. But at the end of the day, as they went through and lined up all those people, he said he really prioritized people who had experience facing challenges and coming up with creative solutions. Because in every role, CMO, COO, CFO, whatever it is, if you put a person in there who has experience overcoming challenges and finding creative solutions, chances are they're going to do a very good job for you because they're going to be prepared for whatever comes your way. And the other thing he mentioned is he wants to put people into leadership who are, again, putting franchisee um, success first and foremost. So those were some of the priorities that he put into place as he was building out his leadership team. My seventh and final takeaway is that your leaders will give you 100% professionally if you nurture them personally. Uh, it it kind of goes back to if you take care of your people, they'll take care of your guests. Similarly, if you take care of your leaders, your leaders will take care of your employees who will take care of your guests. And I think this is a crucial point to talk about when you talk about culture and when you talk about um, you know building your team and hiring and, and retention. At the end of the day, people want to feel taken care of, that their needs are taken care of. They want to feel loved, let's face it. And Chris mentioned, you know, he wants to celebrate the wins from his team. He wants to know their families, their kids, their birthdays. And the reason is, is because if you feel like you're a family on your team, then as Chris put it, they're going to run through walls for you. You need to invest in your team and you can't just do it by paying them more or, you know, offering them better benefits. Those are good things too. But you have to be invested personally because at that professional level, if you if you are able to really connect on a personal level, um, you know, they are going to, again, run through walls for you and want to do the best for you and for your brand. Those are all my takeaways for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please remember to subscribe to Takeaway wherever you listen to podcasts and leave your feedback. You can also email me at sam.okus at informa.com. Thanks again and talk to you next week.